Uh, we're in the middle of a series in Acts, might have guessed, and I've really been enjoying this series primarily because uh, it surprised us a little bit, and I feel like God's been doing some things in our midst that are a lot like what happened in Acts, where he's been surprising us with uh, his presence and his power. And so there's just been some amazing stories in our community of people pressing in with faith uh, to what the Holy Spirit's capable of, and I've been really encouraged by that. And I hope uh, more happens today of the same. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to, it's a long story, we're going to jump around a little bit, but there's one verse that I want to draw your attention to, which you can put back on the, on the screen for me if you don't mind. It's verse 6, and it's, uh, we're really going to be drilling down on this verse, and it really is sort of the, the hinging point of the whole thing. And it says this, uh, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And so what we're going to do is we're going to first unpack what silver and gold means, and then we're going to talk about what, uh, what Peter's trying to give this, this lame beggar that's healed. So silver and gold, to kind of get us all on the same page, uh, yeah, the, bigger, the beggar is asking for money. It kind of means what it, what it means. But uh, there's some things that we need to know about what this beggar is doing, why he's there, and what he's asking for. Uh, the, the religious system in the day had provisions for people like him. Uh, it, was in Jew- it was Jewish custom to actually give alms to the poor. And so what people would do is they'd bring him to the gate uh, just outside the temple, and he would beg, hoping that people would be doing their religious duty of tossing him a buck or two. And, uh, and that's kind of how the system worked. And so that there was an incentive for people of that day to be uh, charitable and to throw him a couple bucks. And uh, this is how he got his money. This is how he ate. Well, it's really sad. It's kind of a striking image that he's crippled and he's actually not allowed to enter the temple. And he kind of just has to sit on the outside hoping for charity from the religious folks going to and from. And it's a, it's a, it's a deeply sad image. And people would have really known this guy. They would have gone by him every day. People would have known the faces of those people that would have been begging all the time, uh, just like Peter and John probably. And so what strikes me about this image is that this man couldn't even begin to think to ask for more than money. Like, wh- how would he have known to ask for more than that? Think about his world. Uh, all he needs is money, as far as he's concerned. Uh, all this is how he gets by. And all the people that he's asking for money from wouldn't know to give him anything differently either. And it's kind of this huge system of which everybody is kind of... Uh, operating in this silver and gold mentality. So when, when, when we think about the term silver and gold, we have to think about more than just, oh, he needs a couple bucks. It kind of represents a big religious system it, that's missing something really deep and profound, that's missing some kind of presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It's not even aware that there could be more for this guy. Like, it's not recognizing. It's just, yeah, I guess we'll just go with the system. And so it kind of, it means a little bit more when we think about the idea of silver and gold going, well, yeah, I mean, it's nice to be charitable, but when we read this story, how did, how did for so long people kind of just pass by this guy not knowing? You know, we read this story, we kind of have hindsight. So one, another good thing to know is that miracles weren't really a thing at the time in Israel, that miracles weren't easy to come by until Jesus showed up. 
And so actually, what's, what's, what's interesting to know is that in, uh, you know, in the first temple, when Solomon built the first temple, if you guys know your you know, ancient Bible history, when Solomon built the first temple, like this glory cloud fell from the sky and filled it. The Ark of the Covenant's in there, and it's this big, crazy, smoky moment, you know, very Old Testament. And then when they come back from, uh, from Babylonian captivity, they build the second temple, and it's kind of lackluster. And actually, some people are weeping over the fact that it just, there was no glory cloud. They kind of just built it and, I don't know, cracked a champagne bottle against the side and went, I guess we have a temple again. And people were weeping that there wasn't the presence there, at least in the same way. People debate over whether God's presence was in the temple or not. But it's very sad. Like, there's just a hole where the Ark of the Covenant was, you know, and it wasn't really... The spirit was kind of there, maybe, depends who you talk to. You know, it didn't have the same gravitas. And Israel is in this period where, you know, the, the expectation of miracles just slowly began to dissipate over these 400 years of silence, they call it, you know, in the second temple period. And slowly but surely, you wind up with this big religious system with a beautiful temple that Herod the Great built, kind of devoid of the real substance, kind of devoid of the miraculous story that we read. So this is a little bit of a setup. I think, we can, uh, I think we can relate to this in many ways. I think we're actually pretty good at building systems that miss the presence and power of God, or at least they're sort of secondary to what's really going on. We can kind of, even we can show up here, and we can kind of do the, do the things, and we can learn things, and toss a couple of bucks this way, and kind of just build a system that kind of, that misses this deeper reality that's going on. And it actually happens really easily and really quickly. You know, we can click our tongues at the Second Temple period Jewish people and go, ah, we, 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 we fall into this, I fall into the same trap all the time. So I find that uh, I, I relate to the beggar in this story a lot when we look at it this way. Where I have earthly needs, I have things that I'd love to see in my life. I have longings, I have hopes, I have dreams that have yet to be realized. I have needs from all of you. I have needs, I just have, I have lots of needs. And what I can tend to do is I can tend to hold my cup out to the world, so to speak, and ask for alms. You know, and I'll get some from you and I'll get some from you and, and uh, I need some silver and gold and, I, and I'm a little bit lonely. So I'm gonna hold my cup out to you, Paul. And I'm a little bit purposeless. And so I'm going to hold my cup out to you, and maybe you can give me something to do. And, and, and we just kind of uh, live in this system of meeting our immediate needs with silver and gold. Sometimes we actually have money needs, in which case that this is a great place to be charitable. And, and all those things are really, really good. But they become quite sinister if they're all that's going on. If we miss the presence and power of God, which is this story just kind of throws it in our face. So... I think we can even treat God this way where we pray, like, Lord, if I could just, you know, if I could just have those needs met, if I could just be happy, if I could just not have such a bumpy this, if you could just provide in this way, if I could just, and we pray these kinds of silver and gold sort of prayers. And all the while, passing by the miraculous, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I, I, the miraculous makes me feel uncomfortable. And so what this story is trying to do is contrast silver and gold and the things that are pre the presenting needs with going, hold on a second, maybe God wants to do something that we couldn't even ask or imagine. So that's what the story is about. Um, Peter gives the man something that he didn't even think to ask for, more than he could ask or imagine. So here's what strikes me. 
is that we've got silver and gold. And, and, and this verse says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, walk. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, he skips something there. He says, um, he says, so I, here's what I do have. I'm going to give you what I do have. Walk. Do you see how there's like a really big lag in there? He doesn't say what he has. He doesn't say, here's what I do have, explanation. He just says, I, something that I have, I'm going to give it to you in the name of Jesus, walk. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have loved a little bit more explanation there. I would have loved, well, give him what? Give him what? And this really is the, the essence of what we're going to be talking about today. What is the thing that Peter is actually offering this guy? It's like, uh, I do have the ability to walk. I'm going to give you the ability to walk. It's not that. What, what is he actually giving him? This is going to be important. Uh, put verse 16 up. Verse 16 gives us the answer. By faith... In the name of Jesus, this man, this is when Peter's explaining it to the crowd, by the way. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. So what does Peter have? Faith. That's what he has. Peter has faith. He says, what I do have, I give to you. And then just as faith would probably do, he just says, in the name of Jesus, walk. It actually makes sense now. If what he's giving the man is faith, then there's this big jump in logic. There's this big jump in things that make sense to the guy. It, I, I just, I love this sentence so much. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, walk. Meaning, I've got faith. I've got faith that if I call in the name of Jesus, you could be able to walk. That's a big gift to actually give somebody faith like that? So what it, uh, what it is, is it's faith in the name of Jesus. Now, this is really important. It's not just Paul's faith that he mustered up on his own. It's faith in the name of Jesus. I think it's just so interesting. The beggar doesn't understand anything. He doesn't have like a doctrinal explanation of what's going on. He doesn't know maybe what the resurrection is. He doesn't totally get it. He just has faith in the name which is actually really profound, that that's all it took to be healed is just faith in the name of Jesus. Uh, I just want to read a quote to you explaining this uh, from, a, from a commentary I read, just kind of explaining this thought around the name. Uh, in Jewish thought, or Semitic thought, a name does not just identify or distinguish a person. It expresses the very nature of his being. Hence, the power of the person is present and available in the name of the person. Peter, therefore, does not just ask the risen Jesus to heal, but pronounces over the crippled beggar the name of Jesus, thereby releasing the power of Jesus. So what this means is that the God, uh, that the God is still active and, and the authority of Jesus is still being extended through the apostles, which is really actually amazing that Jesus just ascended and now we're finding out that uh, the faith of the apostles in the name of Jesus, God is still pushing forward his church and his plan through the faith that the apostles have in the name of Jesus. Like he's able to work through the apostles, which is amazing. Uh, go to verse 11. Uh, I, love what, uh, I love what Peter says here. While the man was like clinging on to Peter and John, you know, he's like really thankful. 
uh, it says, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we'd made this man walk? So here's what Peter's just saying. I love the idea is like, why does this surprise you? Okay, so contrast this from, from the beginning. The man doesn't know to ask, the man doesn't know to ask for being able to walk. He just wants silver and gold. Peter, Peter and John come along and go, I've got faith that you could actually be healed. And then Peter has the audacity to go, why is everybody so surprised? Like, you see how far away that is? Nobody's clued in. To, to, to the reality of what's going on. Nobody has even thought to think about miracles in this culture. And then Peter has the audacity to give a sermon about how obvious it is. Like, it's, it's really actually quite striking. So what does Peter think is so obvious? What, why is it just like, why, do you, why are you guys so surprised? It's a very big plot flip. And uh, it's a big plot flip in my own heart, if I'm honest. When I think about miracles, I'm not like, of course, any second now. You know, it's not my immediate response. And Peter's just like, why are you guys so surprised about this? So from the beginning of this, this series, what, what, what has kind of been the, I don't know, the lens that we're looking at it through is the church was the, was the inevitable outcome of Jesus being who he said he was. So the church wasn't like, okay, Jesus did some stuff, and then a bunch of people got together and said, well, we should probably build a community around some of the teaching. It, it wasn't that. It was people just started having faith in Jesus, and the, the, the church started to happen. And so there's miracles, and there's, like we talked about last week, miraculous community, and giving, and self-sacrifice. And there's, well, all kinds of stuff start to happen when we just when Jesus is who he said he was. And so what Peter's doing here is going, I'm gonna walk around in this life now, living in the kingdom of heaven, assuming that Jesus is in charge of absolutely everything. And you know, I mean, he, I mean he's a little lucky. He got to walk around with Jesus for a couple of years and watch it happen. So I guess maybe he's a little less surprised than you and I would be. But at that, it's still, the fact remains, he is assuming that Jesus is in charge and has power. He's assuming that the, Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And he goes on the, that big sermon that Sam read out is all trying to explain. Like, as you saw all the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob stuff he was getting into, like he was going deep into the Old Testament, right? Because he's like, guys, this should be obvious to you. That guy that you killed, by the way, whoops, uh, was the Messiah. So why are you so surprised? He really was God. That kind of explains the sermon. So the church is a natural byproduct of Jesus being Jesus. And what strikes me most about this is just Peter's faith. These things are so obvious to the, to the kingdom that Peter is now living in. I just think it's really, really cool. So here's where things get interesting for you and I. That's the setup. Uh, as we just kind of said, faith is living in the assumption that Jesus has the authority over everything. That's something you can write down if you're taking notes. Jesus, uh, faith, is living with the assumption that Jesus has authority over everything. That's what faith is. So Peter says, what I do have, I give to you. Walk. You see how the jump is so cool now? 
Like the jump is like, he's just assuming that Jesus is powerful enough to do that. He's assuming that Jesus is powerful enough to meet this guy's actual needs and heal him. Like to live as if Jesus is totally in charge is like, oh, that's a nice thought. Yeah, let's all just live as if Jesus is in charge. And then you walk around like Peter going, well, what I do have, I give to you. That's amazing. So I feel like this is the part where I'm supposed to say, um, uh, faith is the real miracle, you know? And then all the tension is gone from the, from the sermon and we don't have to reconcile with the fact that someone was like, the dude started walking, right? Don't, don't sermons always do this? I find that oh, this is what I'm tempted to do is go, don't worry, we don't actually have to believe in like the fullness of the whole story. Just like we'll find some sub point that actually is kind of non-actionable, which is like, just live in faith or, and that's not wrong. So everyone's happy and no one has to wrestle with what really happened. Like what really happened was Jesus, um, uh, Peter, assuming that Jesus was in charge, led to a miraculous healing of a guy. It, it, and we can't escape that. Now, I know that we could have, there could be a great sermon on how faith is the real miracle in the story, and that's not wrong. But today, I want to just like, we got to sit in the tension of this for a second because we're in Acts, and that's a sermon for another time. Like, I want to know why he was healed. Like, I want to know what, what we can do where that kind of assumption about the power and presence of Jesus leads to real things happening. Like, that's what I want to know. I don't want to do, I don't want to play church and do the, let's all just have faith and then no one really knows what that means, but like, no, it meant stuff. And that causes really awkward, because sometimes things don't happen and then we have to figure that out together. So let's try. Um, for, uh, for this man, new life and healing weren't two different things, okay? So Jesus, Peter didn't come along to the beggar and go, some great news for you. Jesus is the Messiah. He's coming back. And uh, good luck with the begging thing. Like, he didn't say that. He's just like, what I have, I, I have faith. I'm going to give it to you. So how would you having faith, what would you having faith mean? And we have to reconcile with the idea that this beggar was given new life through healing. And he needed healing. He needed healing to have a new life, to be able to work, to no longer beg. And what's really beautiful, like subplot of the story, is now he gets to enter the temple for like the first time on his two feet to go worship God. Like, oh man, we could go on a whole tangent about how cool that is. But the imagery of that story. But you could just, the, the, the compassion that Jesus would have for this man of going, I want to heal you. I want to heal your ankles. Because that's what faith would do. So, faith and miracles go together like a ton in the New Testament. In fact, one of the things that Jesus says most, it's like one of the most frequent things he says after a miracle is like, your faith has made you well. <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do you guys do with that sentence? Like when you're reading in your Bible, what do you do with that sentence? I have... I have a really hard time knowing what to do with that. Your faith has made you well, and my mind just spins. And I don't understand what that means a lot of the time. Did they have to have faith? But then the Ephesians says that it's not, God gives us the faith. And like, who's doing the, and I'm, I just get so confused. What do you mean your faith has made you well? I don't know about you, but my mind gets really offended when we start talking about healing. 
It's like my main takeaway from sermons about healing is my mind just is offended at the end of it. It's like I just don't get it. I don't get why. I don't get why we don't see it as much as I'd like to. I don't understand how it works and who's having the faith. And I, I get really confused and my mind gets offended. And you, maybe you're having this thought in your heart, the same one that I feel too, is that uh, you're like, okay, Jonathan, it sounds like you're saying if we have enough faith, then there's going to be miracles. Don't you kind of feel that already happening? It's like sneaking its way into the sermon, into your hearts and into mine. And we're like, ah, you know, what, what if it doesn't happen? You know, and your whole brain is freaking out. Um, I have a list of unanswered prayers. You guys have a list of unanswered prayers? Yeah. Should we temper our expectations? Should we just reduce those? So our hope isn't dashed again? So here's what I was thinking about. If we need an explanation, like do you need an explanation why some of your prayers don't get answered? Do you need to have it all make sense? Does everything have to make sense to you? If so, super easy solution. Just don't have any faith. Just don't have any faith. And your world will make complete sense. It'll just make sense. You, you ever like, be at, when you're at the bottom of a pit of sin, you know, you know that moment that we've all been to? Please nod. We've all been at that bottom of the pit of sin where we're like, whoa, this, this is bad. Never once have I thought at the bottom of that pit, I have no idea how I wound up here. I always know exactly how this happened. Every single time, I was like, there's zero mystery in this. Like, I got myself here because I did this and then that, and then I didn't do that, and then I, you know, like, I'm me, I mean, I'm here now. And there's a little bit of naivety and, you know, and ignorance along the way, certainly. But when you're at the bottom of the pit, you're like, oh, I get it. You're never like, how? <laughs> Unless you're arrogant and proud. But if you're humble in that moment, it's exact, you know exactly what happened. The kingdom is just the opposite of that somehow. It's like, I have no idea how we got here. <laughs> Nobody really knows when like a heart's convicted or changed or people get healed or they speak in tongues or they prophesy over you and there's life and I just don't get it. I don't get how this, like this room is so beautiful to me. I have no idea how it happened. I have no idea how it happened. And so then we, you, <laughs> this is such a hard sermon to explain, but there's this jump between what I, I do have faith, right? I have faith. What I have, I give to you. I have faith. Giant gap, super bold, scary thing to say next. Just, well, then I guess that's got to be true. And the gap just offends my mind like crazy. So um, I feel like when we're faithless, and this is where it really gets... Uh, I don't know, frustrating or interesting, depending on the way you look at it. Um, uh, when, when we're afraid and don't understand, Jesus kind of has one go-to thing that he says. He just says, have more faith. Like he, doesn't, he doesn't try to get us out of the, of the thing that we don't understand. It's like he's not trying to get us to understand. He's trying to get us to have faith. I hate that. Like in the, in the storm, remember the storm in the boat? They're freaking out. They think they're gonna die. And Jesus says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and told the waves to stop. <laughs> like, 
told the wind to stop, and it did. He's not trying. Like, how, what's the Bible lesson in the boat after that? I'm God is the Bible story. That's the, that's the big takeaway of them going, oh, oh, yeah, I'm never going to understand how that worked. You're, I'm just going to, just super glad you're in charge. <laughs> that's the big takeaway from the faith moment. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? So I think what Jesus says to our lack of faith, he says, okay, that's fine. Have more. Just, just ask for more then. If you don't have faith and it's not making sense, ask for more of that. And, and you can because it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on me. So it's like infinite. You can have all the faith you want because it's, it's built on what I did. It's not from you. So endless supply. <laughs> and we go, yeah, but I want to understand though. He's like, oh yeah, I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to do something super different that you won't understand. So don't bother and I'm going to give you some, you know, that's not a total mystery. No, we, I'll give you some insight into some certain things. And you and I could we, could, we could line every single one of you up here and tell testimonies about how God came through. And it's beautiful. And it all makes sense now. And isn't that great? And I love testimonies. And we all love testimonies because they're beautiful. And it also means that it's like, oh, good, God does stuff. Right? We know that. You know that feeling? So you know what the disciples, one of my favorite things the disciples pray for when they're not understanding one of Jesus' teachings is that it's just, Lord, increase my faith. Like, I only have one place to go. Increase it. If you're not going to explain yourself fully, then, then increase my faith then. It's very simple. So my question to you is, who is the variable in your world? Right? Is God the variable? Like, if things don't make sense, is he the one on trial of going, ah, unanswered prayer? Again. Okay, so let's start from scratch now. Or do you go, oh, I'm just going to have more faith. I, this sermon is, I, that, 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 that thought is so offensive. Like, aren't we supposed to get an answer after that or like at least have a takeaway from that moment? I don't know. I don't know why I have unanswered prayer. I don't. And then Jesus says, ye of little faith, why are you so afraid? Now, that could be insulting to you or it could be the most comforting possible thing that someone didn't try to explain it to you. You know when something just doesn't make sense and you're in pain, and then someone goes, well, let's, let me explain to you how you're feeling right now. It's like, no, he's just going, but there's more. There's more for you, and it's infinite. It's better. It's a better answer. It's just offensive. So what would it look like for us to live with the assumption that Jesus is in charge? We just live that way. He's the constant, right? We don't have to get it. He's just the constant, and when we don't understand, he's still the constant. And when we don't understand and it doesn't work, he's still, he's still in charge. And when, we're, and when we're hurt and we don't, there's a gap, we chill, still choose to acknowledge him because what else are we going to do? So yeah, I feel like, you know, this whole point of this series is like we're trying to live in the kingdom. You know, we're not going to live in this world. We're going to live in the kingdom of heaven that the church is this beautiful sliver of and... Uh, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing as a church. And so I was, uh, I don't think it's supposed to feel super normal when we decide to make Jesus the constant thing in our life. I think that's supposed to feel strange. I think that's supposed to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and we're like, no, we're actually believing that Jesus is fully in charge and has all authority. That's supposed to feel bizarre <laughs> from this world. And as I was writing this over the last couple of days, I'm just going, I don't have a resolution 
to the, I'm like so desperately, guys, trying to make this sermon make sense so that we can not have tension in it. And at the end of the day, I'm like, I think we're just gonna have to live in a different kingdom now that we're not in charge of. And hold on a second, that's actually really good. I don't wanna know, I don't wanna know. I don't wanna know how it works. I wanna see miracles. That's what I wanna see. I'm gonna read a Bible story for you. It's not on the screen, but you can just close your eyes and listen to it. It articulates the point well. Uh, Mark 9, 17 to 27, this is Jesus healing someone. So we looked at Peter healing someone. Let's look at Jesus healing someone and see if we can see any differences. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this, whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast the evil spirit out of him, but they couldn't do it. That's a bummer moment for the disciples. Hey, I've been there. I've been there. Listen to what Jesus says. Oh, so good. He says, you faithless people. (laughs) I was not the response. He's like, okay, you didn't do it right. You got to say this, then this, then this. No, he doesn't explain. He doesn't explain why. He just says, You don't have enough faith yet. Oh, I hate that he said that, and I love that he said that. You faithless people, how long must I be with you? (laughs) How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spear saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, listen to this, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand and held him up to his feet and he stood up. There's a perfect story that articulates this. The disciples are having a moment. They're trying to have faith. It doesn't totally work out. And Jesus says, just have more faith. Have more of me and my power. And then the man, the father, is leads. He's the leader. He's the big champion in this moment. And Jesus says, you know, if, what do you mean if I can? What do you mean if I can? And, the, and the, the, the dad goes, help me with my unbelief then. You see how there's just one direction. There's one pursuit for us. There's one goal, there's one hope, there's one solution, there's one person that can do it all, and it's just him. And so I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't say, have faith, also learn this, also get good at this, also spend time doing this, also, no, the beggar didn't know anything. He just took Peter's hand. It's, he's so powerful, and he doesn't explain anything. 
So I think what, what needs to be asked of us today is what are you asking for from Jesus? Are you asking for silver and gold? Are you asking for silver and gold? Are you asking for things that make sense? He's super kind and gives us that stuff all the time. And I'm so grateful. Hey, like we just ask for like, oh, I need, a, I need lunch money. And he helps. Like God meets us in the, the most tiny, minute silver and gold things. This is not, this sermon is not about the absence of that. He's very kind in that regard, if you haven't noticed. But you hear the cry of Jesus in this. And it's like, what do you mean if I can? Well, he says, will I find faith when I return? It's just so much about that. It's so much about the surrender and abandon. So what are you asking for? Are you asking for silver and gold? Are you asking for more faith in him? And to really put an exclamation point on it, what would it mean? What would it mean if you did? What if, how does that faith need to be expressed? What are the weak ankles in your life going, no, 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 I don't have faith there because that would mean that there'd have to be results. What is that space? And I invite you to like think about that for a second because that's what's gonna challenge your faith. You ever think it's so strange why Jesus even bothered healing anyone? It, it seems like a superfluous thing. He could have just had great teaching, and yet he just wanted to connect things that offended our minds. And he loved us so much that he wanted to set us free even from our iniquities. It's like Isaiah prophesied it way back in the day. He's going to bear our iniquities and take upon us his, our, our diseases. Why? Why? I think it's because he loves us a ton, and he just wants us to, to, to believe in the fullness of him and offend our minds so that we can know him more. And I think that that's really what, what we're being invited into today. And I want to stick, I don't, there's probably someone who can preach a great sermon on healing and all the ins and outs of it and why Jesus doesn't answer prayer and all this kind of thing. I don't think that's what today's about. I think today's about coming before our Father and going, I believe that you're in charge. I believe that you are who you said you were, are who you said you are. And I believe that this could mean that. And then if I'm confused or it doesn't make sense or it doesn't happen, my solution will be to ask again. My solution will be to ask for more of you. My solution will always be further and further and further towards you. And my friends, what happens as we do that is we become saved. And we're saved by grace through faith. That's not of, not of our own doing, but of his. We're saved by grace through faith. And you look back and you go, I think I'm saved I think I'm saved because of my faith, not because God proved himself. And it's just this beautiful moment. And so I, I would invite you to sit in the tension of that. One little story and then we'll be done. Uh, pastor, a uh, friend of ours from Phoenix has a great story about how he wrestles through asking for stuff from God and the whole prayer list that's not answered thing. Like he, he has a really great story to that, that I think articulates it well. And so I wanted to share it with you if it helps you. Uh, imagine uh, parents in a Toys R Us with like a five-year-old, Okay. And there's two scenarios in which that's a nightmare and one scenario in which it's beautiful. Here's the two nightmare scenarios, the, the two worst case scenarios. First one is you've got a brat asking for absolutely everything and then when he gets nothing or, or gets something, it's not exactly, like throws a hissy fit. You know, that's nightmare scenario number one. We can picture that moment. I wanted all this and that and that and I didn't get any of it and so kicking and screaming tantrum, right? Uh, equally sad, is a, is a kid that walks through the, to, with, through the Toys R Us with their parents and asks for nothing because they don't think they'll get anything. That's, that's heartbreaking. Like they, they stay quiet because they don't think their parents will bless them. That's messed up. 
That's really, really messed up. Here's the most, the, the third scenario, which I just think is so beautiful. And this is what I think you and I get to be like, is we're the kid that asks for absolutely everything in the store. And then when the father says no, we say, okay. All right. Do you see how, that's, a, that's true intimacy and faith. Because it's like, I actually don't know what I need. I want all that. I want all that. Uh, but what's the most important thing is I have faith in you to do the right thing. And I have faith in you to be my God and my everything. And right now we're taking the metaphor into the, but it's like, you're in charge. And that's, that's beautiful. And so I want to be those kids that ask for everything. And I don't, I remember not getting a toy. Why? <laughs> remember that feeling? Why? You seem to have so much money. <laughs> it never made sense to me. It never made sense. But it is possible to be that kid. I know the parents are like, nope, it's not. But it is possible for that kid to trust the parents so much to go, I'm here with you. And I'm going to ask for everything because I know you're good. And I'm going to trust you when I don't understand. And I'm going to keep going to the store with you. So all I got for you today, guys, is help me in my unbelief. That's what I got. Help me in my unbelief. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. And uh, it's a good opportunity. It's always a good opportunity to take communion. Um, we're going to pass that out. Uh, and we're going to sing as that gets passed out. So the worship team, you guys can come forward too. And I invite you as, you, as, we, as we worship, uh, what's so profound about this communion moment today is uh, this is... Um, the communion moment is, uh, man, how do you say this? I think we have a chance to be so grateful in this communion moment for what has been done and what is totally sealed and finished. And I think that's what lets us live in this awkward tension of faith till maybe forever, till maybe we die. And we live in the tension of not understanding because we have assurances and we have promises. We have things that we do know and we have more than enough. We have more than enough. And so Lord, I pray that as we, as we, as we worship you and we press in and we trust you, we say, help us in our unbelief. And as we take communion, we say, thank you, Lord that we have this assurance. Thank you, Lord, that you really have conquered death. Lord, you can say things like, what do you mean if I can? Because you did it, you conquered death and we say thank you for it now, Lord, we say thank you. And Father, right now I also ask that you would, that you would grant us more and more faith as we press further into you. Amen.